This morning, we are continuing in our LinkedIn series, and we're talking about being linked in family this morning. And it's a good time of year to be talking about being linked in family. The next 30 days, uh, many of you may be getting together with family. Uh, some of you may be getting together with family, some of you not, but often around this time of year, we end up getting together uh, with family, Thanksgiving, Christmas time. I'm reminded of the home improvement episode. If you've seen that uh, television show or seen it on reruns, you know the series with Tim Taylor. Tim the Toolman Taylor, that episode with his family, his boys, and one Christmas episode where the boys were kind of complaining about the people that were coming over and they weren't able to see their friends. And Tim has this line in the midst of the episode. He says, Christmas is not about being with people you like. It's about being with family. And unfortunately, there's sometimes some truth to that, right? I hope it's not the case with you. I hope you love it. I hope you can't wait. If you're going to be with family at Christmas and Thanksgiving, I hope you really look forward to it. But I know for many people, that's not necessarily the case. Because if it were, you'd get together with these people more often. And you don't. You just do it a couple times a year. Um, And so sometimes there's reasons for that. And we want to talk a little bit about that today. Reminds me of the little boy who was helping his mom get ready for Thanksgiving and everybody eventually came over and they're sitting around the table finally and the mom is just tired and she says to her boy Johnny, you know, wanting to impress kind of the people that are there and she says, Johnny, why don't you say grace this morning? Why don't you ask, you know, the blessing on the meal? And Johnny, a little nervous, you know, all these people there, he says, Mom, I wouldn't know what to say. And she said, don't worry, Johnny, just say what you hear Mommy saying. Johnny said, dear God, why did I invite all these people to my house today? (laughs) Sometimes family's a little like that. The last two weeks of our LinkedIn series, we've been talking about relationships that a person chooses to have. First week, we talked about marriage. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about friends. And you get to choose who you want to marry most of the time. You get to choose, if you're not in an arranged marriage situation, which most of us probably aren't, you got to choose who you wanted to marry. You get to choose who you're going to be friends with or who you're not going to be friends with. For the next two weeks, we're going to talk about those relationships that you don't necessarily get to choose. You don't necessarily get to choose your family. And yet there are these people that you are in relationship with that you did not choose them You did not choose to be in relationship with them, and yet you are forced to be in relationship with them. You are in some way linked in relationship to them. And so the question we want to consider is, what does God expect of us? What does God ask of us? What does God want us to live out in these relationships in our lives that we did not necessarily choose, and yet we are linked in relationship anyway? How are we supposed to live out those relationships, those lives? What is God asking of us? I mean, there's always different family dynamics, and it's challenging enough even in just an immediate nuclear biological family, right? You might have a husband, a wife, a kid, a dog, uh, whatever it might be, and that can be hard enough, right? Couples go through different stages of life, the kids go through different stages, teenagers, all that. It's hard enough with just those dynamics, right? You're, You're trying to figure out, what do I do next? How do we relate to one another? But then add to that extended family. Your aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, in-laws, 
You know, and you start getting more dynamics. You know, perhaps you're already thinking about Thanksgiving dinner and how you do not want to sit next to that particular person in your extended family. Or you're thinking about how I can get out of having a conversation with that person in your family. The extended family adds different dynamics. And then there's even different dynamics in something that we call the blended family. How many know what I mean when I say the term blended family? few of you, right? Uh, but not everyone. It's fairly a, well, it's fairly a new term in, in uh, language uh, time in, in, as we think about it. It really came about in 1975. This term blended family started to be used uh, pretty regularly. If you don't know what it is, let me just define it in a couple different ways for you. Webster defines it this way. A family that contains children of a previous marriage of one spouse or both. Wikipedia defines it this way, a family where one parent has children that are not related to the other parent. I think the best definition I like is by Ray and Debbie Alsdorf, and this is at the bottom of your sermon notes. There's this recommended resource I have for you. They wrote this book called Beyond the Brady Bunch, Hope and Help for Blended Families, uh, and I've been reading it in preparation for this message. I think it's a great resource, and I've learned a lot. Uh, but they define it this way. Any family that merges lives, rules, calendar days, and children with another family. And I like their definition because it takes into account a dynamic that I don't know that the first two necessarily take into account, and that's this reality, that sometimes you, have a, you might have a parent that, that went through a divorce and they didn't remarry. So it's just them and maybe their kids living under their roof. And you might say, well, that, how is that a blended family? It's a blended family because their ex-spouse still has influence over their life and their kid's life, and whoever their ex-spouse may choose to marry all of a sudden now has influence over their life and their kid's life. So even though they might be not living under the same roof, there's still this blended family dynamic. Someone else has influence and control over my schedule, my, uh, my itinerary, my things, my finances sometimes. And so it creates these blended family dynamics uh, that, are, uh, that take place in these situations. But whether it's immediate family, extended family, or blended family, the question is, how does God expect us to act in these relationships that we maybe not choose to do, um, but have nonetheless? We're going to look at one particular principle today that could apply to any family relationship really could apply to any relationship in general, but I want to apply it specifically this morning to extended family and blended family. We talk a lot about marriage. We did that a couple weeks ago. We talk a lot about parenting. I'll talk about that next week. But this dynamic of blended families, that's a reality in our culture that touches many of your lives and my life, that touches many of the lives of the people you know, the dynamics that go on there, we sometimes don't talk about that a lot. And yet, there's these challenges that many families are living every week, going, well, how do I do this? What's expected of me? There's these unique challenges to blended families and extended families, and I want to apply some of the principles this morning directly to, uh, to that and look at that. So let's look at the blended family and why, so, why it can be difficult, what some of the uniquenesses are. So this morning, my illustration uh, cleverly has a blender involved in it, right? I know that really catches you by surprise. I'm going to put my apron on. Uh, we're going to do some cooking this morning, uh, talking about the blended family. 
And let's talk a little bit about what our society sometimes kind of expects with these blended families. Because I think what the reality is, is sometimes what, what the thought is, is that, well, you'll get together, and we'll get together, you know, I love you, you love me, we'll get together and be a happy family, and you, you bring your kids, and I'll bring my kids, and you bring your dog, and I'll bring my cat, and, and we'll get together. And once we're under one roof, we'll just figure it out. It, it'll happen. And we know the statistics that it doesn't always happen. And blended families know these statistics more than anyone. Uh, many of you know that in marriages, the statistics are that 50% uh, often end in divorce. But blended families know the statistic that 70% of second marriages often end in divorce. And so there's these dynamics of there's difficulty, there's challenges of it. But we just think, well, we'll get together, we'll be under the same roof, and we'll make it all work. It won't happen. It'll be fine for us. And we think, well, this is what happens, right? Okay, we get, our, we get our blender for our blended family. Try and make this work without making too much of a mess. We get some of our ingredients. Here's my strawberry yogurt, right? And we just throw everything in the blender. I'm not used to doing this, so if it makes a mess, watch out front rows of splash zone. Um, and we just throw everything in the blender, right? And we throw some, you know, we throw your kids and my kids, and every family has some fruits and some nuts. So we put in the fruits and the nuts. And we throw in, right, and we throw your ex-spouse, you know, is involved, and my ex-spouse may be involved in their kids and who they choose to marry, and we throw them in the mix, right? And then we throw the nuts in for the fruit and the nuts, right? And I'm going to put more of this in because first service, it didn't blend too good, so we're going to put more of this in. And then you put everything in, you put the lid on, that would be bad. You put everything in, you put the lid on, you hit blend, and you just bring it all together. And in a short amount of time, if everything's working right, in a short amount of time, right, you've got your blended family, right? And you, you're there, and after a couple days, a couple weeks, or oh, a year at most, right? I mean, we'll figure it out within a year. Put the button, and voila, blended family. We're all together. We're happy. We're excited. But it never works that way. It never works that way. Those of you that have gone through situations like this, or you've seen your friends walk through situations like this, you don't just push a button and it just and everything's fine, right? It doesn't work that way. It's not that instant. It's not that, it, it's not that quick. I mean, if it were only as easy as the Brady Bunch, right? How many of you know the Brady Bunch, right? I know I'm dating myself, some of the young kids. Maybe you've seen it in syndication, right? But the Brady Bunch, you know, they were a blended family, but when did you ever see them deal with blended family issues? Let me ask you, what happened to Carol's first husband? Nobody knows. They never mentioned Mr. Martin, would have been his name. Nobody knows. They never say it. I did a little research and looked at the writer of the original episode and what his idea was. And his idea was that Carol would have been a divorcee, but they never, the producers never let him mention it in the episode. What about Mike? What was, what was his first wife? What happened to his first wife? They do mention that. She, he's a widow. He's a widower. They do mention that one a couple times. But then they're brought together. But have you ever, there's not one episode where they deal with these issues of being a blended family. In fact, uh, the only time it's dealt with is in really the first episode, which is the pilot episode, and here's the entire way it's dealt with. Ready? This is it. Take notes if you're in a blended family. This is the way Carol deals with it, Carol Brady. 
One of the boys is having, is having some struggles and talks about her being a stepmother. And she says, the only steps in this house lead upstairs. And that's the end of it. All blended family issues resolved. And if it were only that easy. It just isn't, right? I mean, it takes more work than that. It takes more effort than that. There are more realities that are involved. And so I've been researching a little bit this week some of the realities. I know if you're in a blended family, you know a whole lot more than I know about it and some of the challenges that you've had and some of the challenges of being a part of a blended family. Um, but I just, you know, just to enlighten some of us that may not understand what some of these challenges are, let me just show you some of the things I came across this week in what a blended family, some of the challenges they face. So difference between biological family, blended family... So biological family, you're related by blood to your children, parents of the children. Blended family, related by marriage. Biological families, created by marriage. Blended family, formed out of loss, right? Either you had someone die, either someone's a widow or both are widows, or there was a divorce or a broken marriage or a broken relationship. Somewhere along the line, there was a loss. And so that there's a different foundation there. Biological family, discipline, evol- discipline evolves from relationship, right? Your kids grow. They have relationship with you. They learn how to do that. But not a blended family, instant mom, instant dad, right? I mean, you're, you're instant discipline right in that moment. You don't know this person. You don't have a relationship with them. But all of a sudden, there are discipline issues involved. Biological family, parents' ways are predictable. You've learned over time. The kids have learned. This is how mom acts. This is how dad acts. I understand. This is how they get on this day. This is how they get at that night. But not a blended family. Instantly, you know, instantly everything's new. Nothing's predictable. We don't know what's going to happen. Why did he react like that? Why did she react like this? We don't have any history. We don't know. We didn't talk about all the issues. Biological family, child wants to please both parents. Blended family, child wants step-parent vaporized. And that sounds harsh, and it is harsh, but here's what it recognizes. It recognizes this reality that many times kids in a blended family, their hope beyond hope is that at some point their parents might get back together. They know everything that's gone on. They've seen everything. But many times in a blended family, depending on the age of the kids and everything, what their hope is is that their biological parents will one day get back together and the step-parent coming in can represent the death of that dream. And so that step-parent coming in, not only do they have the challenges of coming into a family and, and, and making it all work, they can be seen as really an obstacle to the dream that that child might have. And so that makes it even more difficult. Biological family, you don't have a lot of ugly, uh, you, have, um, you have, don't have a lot of ugly fairy tales, uh, splendid family, you know, Cinderella, you're the stepmonster, whatever you are. Look at all the movies. How many times is it the stepmother, the stepfather, or something like that that's portrayed as, uh, as the antagonist in some way? Biological family competition can sometimes be healthy. Blended family competitions for attention and survival. You know, I only get lost in the mix. You know, why doesn't mom have more attention to me? Why doesn't dad have more attention to me? These are stereotypes and generalizations. They're not always true, but those realities are there. There's difficulties. There's challenges that are there and need to be recognized. And it doesn't just happen when you push a button like this. A blended family, some of the challenges, some of the other challenges they face, the reality is that divorce ends a marriage, not a family. Divorce ends a marriage, but not a family. Right? So kids, they're still connected to both parents. 
They, they still have these connections that need to be navigated. Reality of a blended family, someone else has control over your schedule, has influence over your schedule, over your finances. You don't have complete autonomy with your family because you have to take into account the, your, your, the other child's, the child's other parent, maybe who that uh, child has, uh, other parent is married. Parents feel torn between their loyalty to their own children and their loyalty to their new spouse. And finally, blended families can be difficult um, even with the best of circumstances. Even under the best of circumstances, there's always dynamics that come in. The average blended family, uh, one survey found out, has 40 different family relationships. Because you go to your mom, dad, and then maybe if they split up, who they marry, and then their kids, and then, uh, you know, in-laws, ex-in-laws, and, you know, in-law grandpa, and, and the new step-grandparents, and average, step, average blended family, 40 different relationship connections. And even under what might be the most ideal circumstances, there are always just challenges. I remember when Wendy's mom got remarried about 12 years ago. Wendy's mom was, uh, she was a widow from when Wendy was a teenager, about 13, Wendy's dad uh, died. And her mom chose to ro- raise Wendy and her brother uh, just as a, single, as a single parent and made that decision that she was going to raise her kids. And then uh, when they were out of the house, you know, then she would decide what to do then. But she had that decision. Um, and so she did that. And then about 12 years ago, some friends introduced her to a great guy. Many of you have met him. He's been here many times, Daryl. Uh, my father-in-law, he's a fantastic guy. They're both Christians, both widows, both, you know, both had adult children. You know, so you think, well, this should be easy. And yeah, but even under those circumstances, I remember talking to Wendy, you know, and she's like, Mom, do you know what you're doing? Are you sure you know what you're getting into? You know, have you thought this through? Do you know this guy? You know, and thinking about, I remember Wendy getting off the phone with her mom one night and, and saying, you know, she didn't ask one question about me. All she wants to do is talk about this new guy she's dating. You know, it's one thing to talk to your kids about that, but talking to your mom about that is a little different, right? Talking about your mom and her dating relationship. Some of you have gone through that. But it even, you know, in those circumstances, I remember Wendy saying, you know, to her mom, you're going you're gonna to sell the house we grew up in? You know, when I come, you're going to move? So when I visit you, my friends won't be there, my family won't be there because you've moved to another city. I mean, even under the most ideal circumstances, what, what could seem like it, there's always dynamics that are come in that need to be worked through. And it's difficult. It's not as easy as just pushing a button. It's not as easy as just pushing a button and automatic blended family. Let's, let's look at a different illustration. Let's look at a different appliance. Let's kind of come up with a different metaphor for, for our family. And let's move from the blender to the crock pot. From the blender to the crock pot, right? So we got the crock pot. And like the blender, in the crock pot, lots of different ingredients go in, right? So you got the Mr. Potato Heads that go in to your blended family, uh, whoever that might be. Uh, but you put your potatoes into your blended family, right? I mean, they're going in. Everything's going in just like the blender. You put some carrots in. Carrots go in. Put some onions in. Onions go in. I realize you've got to peel these and cut these. I understand. Just for, hang with me for the metaphor, okay? All right. Pepper goes in. Everything's in the crock pot, right? We're putting it on just like the blender. All the ingredients went in. They're all in there. We're going to put the lid on it just like the blender. We're going to lock them in, right? Everybody's locked in under one roof. Everybody's staying. Nobody's leaving. And... 
all of a sudden, everyone's in there just like the blender, except this time, we're not going to push a button to chop everything up and everything instantly. This time, we're going to turn it on low. And what's it do? It slow cooks, right? It slow cooks over time. No moving parts, right? It's, it's not this, this, this aggressive blade circulating and cutting everything up so that we can all have this instant gratification, this instant family. No, this, the, the crock pot works slowly. It works over time. It takes time. It's not aggressive. It, it, it's, it's not loud. But over time, it, it works and it cooks. And here's the thing. At the end of things, when this is done and you've left the lid on and this is cooked for a good amount of time after the slow cook, here's the thing. You take out what's in there and the potato still looks like a potato and the carrot still looks like a carrot and the onion still looks like an onion but over time, they've taken on the flavor of the other things that have been in the crock pot, right? It wasn't all blended together so everything is just, you know, the same. There's still individuals. But slow cook, we take on the flavor of those things that we're in contact with. We're patient with one another. We show grace to one another. We show forgiveness for one another. And over time, we realize that it doesn't have to be overnight. It doesn't have to be at the push of the button. But over time, we become a family. And so let's change the metaphor from the blender to the crock pot. And let's change the terminology from blended to blending. I think that's more accurate. I don't think there is a blended family. I think there's a blending family. That over time, we're learning how to become a family together. We're learning how to show grace to one another. We're learning how to show love to one another. And we're learning how to become the family that God wants us to be. And so we're not the blended family. We're the blending family. I want to get to that one principle that I mentioned a little earlier. How does God expect us? How do we do this? How do we prepare this meal? How do we, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we slow cook? How does God expect us to live in relationship with people we did not choose to be in relationship with, but we're forced to be in relationship, we're linked in relationship with them. Anyway, how can we, especially those ones that we have difficulty living with, especially those ones in the next 30 days, when you get together with them, Christmas, Thanksgiving, that you may not be looking forward to seeing them. How do we live in relationship with them? I want to give you one principle this morning. It comes from Romans chapter 12. Paulette read it earlier, verse 18, and it says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want you to say that with me. Say it together. Let's say it. Ready? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now let's say it again, except let's change you to me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. That's what God calls us to. That's the principle God calls us to. You can apply this to any relationship, but I want us to apply it to the family this morning. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's talk about those three causes for a second. And let me start with the last one, peace. 
Because that word peace, sometimes, well, what does it mean? We might mean different things like peace. Does peace mean you always have lovey-dovey, squishy, warm feelings towards everyone in your family? No, that's not what peace means. Peace doesn't mean you're always going to have lovey-dovey, squishy feelings. Because think about how it's used in the geopolitical sense. You know, there may be peace between countries, but they don't have lovey-dovey, squishy feelings. Beside. We just decided not to shoot each other. You know, we decided to stop hurling bombs at each other. And there's peace, but there may not be affection. There may not be those lovey-dovey. And that same way sometimes in the family. You may not have those lovey-dovey, squishy feelings. You may not have that attitude, but you've chosen to stop throwing bombs at each other. And you've chosen as much as possible. You're going to stop hurling the verbal grenades. You're going to stop talking behind their back. You're going to stop. You're just going to stop. And as much as possible with you, you're going to make peace. Peace is a state. It's not necessarily an attitude or a feeling. It's a state of being. And so you're going you're to commit to living at peace. And so it has these two qualifications, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Here's what I love about the Bible. Some people will say, oh, the Bible is so idealistic, nobody can live it out. And usually when someone says that to me, I know I'm talking to someone who's never read the Bible. Because the Bible is not idealistic in that sense. I read a verse like this, and I'm going, that's very realistic. Recognizing that these qualifications are there, it's not always possible to live at peace. Let me say that again. It is not always possible to live at peace. Peace is not always possible. I want you to say that with me. Ready? Peace is not always possible. Ah, isn't that liberating? Isn't that liberating to know that God in His Word says there are sometimes peace isn't going to be possible. Because don't you sometimes, when, when it's not, when you don't feel at peace, don't you feel like a failure? Like, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with our family? What's wrong with it? Why can't we be at peace? And yet Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are some times where peace will not be possible. It's not possible. So when is that not possible? Let me give you three scenarios. Two where I think peace is not po- the terms of peace are probably not possible. The third one, third scenario, I believe you need to look at whether peace is possible. So the first scenario is this. Sometimes the terms of peace are, in order to have peace, someone will say, you need to compromise your relationship with God. There are sometimes that just being a Christian, just the fact that you are in church on a Sunday morning, just the fact that you follow God, just the fact that you believe in God is going to cause hostility in a relationship with someone in your family. It's going to put a barrier between you and them, and it's going to cause a problem. And they might say, look, here's the terms of peace. If you just stop all the God stuff, if you just stop with the church stuff, if you just stop with the Bible stuff, if you stop spending so much time praying and going to church and spend more time focusing on me, then we can have peace. And I would say if those are the terms of peace, then peace probably isn't possible. If those are the terms of peace, then in order for us to have peace, you want me to stop worshiping God, you want me to stop going to church, you want me to stop giving, you want me to stop loving God, then in that case... Peace just isn't going to be possible between us because those terms aren't really going to be acceptable to me. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. He's like, you, you live in the Roman Empire. There are going to be people that are going to want to compromise your faith 
And if they do, then peace with them might not be possible. There's a second scenario where I think peace becomes almost impossible. When the terms of peace become violating or compromising your vows in, to your spouse or to your children that you've committed to taking care of. Look, the problem is that guy you married. We used to get along great before you married her. That's the problem. So why don't you stop spending so much time with them and we can have peace. Well, the problem is you're spending too much time with your kids. The problem is you're spending too much time, you know, investing too much in the kids. If you'd stop doing that, we can have peace. And I'd say if those are the terms of peace, then peace might not be possible. Because you've got to live out your vows to your spouse. You've got to live out your commitment to your children that you've committed to taking care of and being their guardian. And you've got to live that out. And if that's the commitment, that's what's being asked, then peace might not be possible. But there's a third scenario. And the third scenario doesn't involve God, and it doesn't involve your spouse or your kids. It involves me and you and what we feel are our rights and what we feel are our uh, things that we are entitled to. Because if the terms of peace are, look, if you will just give up or lay down or stop being so adamant about being right, being the one in control, being the one who gets all the accolades, laying down my right to be right, if those become the terms of peace, if I can make peace by laying down my right to lob verbal grenades at you, my right to be bitter because of what you did, my right not to forgive you because what you did is so egregious, if those are the terms of peace, then I would say I've got to really consider pursuing those terms of peace. Because the culture we live in and the world around you will say, no, you've got a right to be bitter. You've got a right to be angry. You've got a, you hold on to that. You don't let them walk all over you. Don't let them take advantage of you. You've got you to stand up for yourself. You have a right to be right. You're right here. Don't, don't you back down. But if the terms of peace are that I have to give up my right to be right, and that's a case that I need to look at really pursuing peace because the second clause says, as far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on you. As much as it depends on you means that you make every effort to have peace. As much as it depends on you means that at times you're going to have to give up your right to be right. As much as it depends on you means that you lay down your bitterness your unforgiveness. And you say, well, how can I do that? See, as much as it depends on you means that you and I will follow the example of Christ on the cross who gave up his rights, who could have stayed in heaven, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. If you're in our marriage class on Wednesday nights, this is what we talked about this past week. The fact that Jesus didn't have to leave his Glory. Jesus didn't have to leave heaven, but he gave up his rights, set them aside in order to come down to give up his life, to be a sacrifice so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. And so when I say, no, 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 I have a right to be right, I have a right to be angry, I have a right to be bitter, no one had more right than Jesus who had never sinned, 
and yet came down and said, I'm willing to take your penalty and the penalty of your sins. Why? So that there can be peace. So that there can be peace between me and God, between you and God. He said, I'll do everything I can. As much as it depends on me, Jesus is saying, as much as it depends on him, he held nothing back. As much as it depends on him, he has done everything in order to make peace. Held nothing back. He came as close as he could and just left it up to you to make the decision. Jesus has done everything he can except force you because he won't force you. If you choose not to live in peace with God, he won't force you. And it's the same thing in your relationship with your family. You do whatever you can as it depends on you. You can't force them. You can give advice. You can't force them to make a decision. But as much as it depends on you, just as Christ did. It's kind of like that picture. You see the picture of the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted? It's probably the most famous part of the Sistine Chapel, right? Is that picture of Adam and God, right? Their, their fingers, right, are close. And God, it's interesting, if you look at that picture, is stretching out, you know, making the effort. And Adam's finger, if you remember the picture, is just kind of dangling out there. And it's just this gap between the two fingers of about this big. And I think it's a real artistic picture of this, this reality that God has done everything he could. He has held nothing back. As much as possible with him, he's done everything he could to make peace with you. But he won't force you. But he won't force you. You'll have to choose to accept his offer of forgiveness and to live at peace with God. You'll have to make that decision. You'll have to make that choice. And in your relationships, it's the same way. Let me, show you, let me give you an illustration of how this can play out in Scripture. What does this look like? Let me give you an illustration in Scripture of what it looks like with one particular extended family. And it's the family of Abram who would become Abraham. And it's one instance in his life I'm just going to read about Abram and Lot in Genesis chapter 13. Lot was his nephew. And they had been living in the same area. Lot went with Abram. And they'd been living in the same area. But they'd been growing in their possessions. And so there became a problem. There was not enough land to support both their households. And what would they do? So Genesis chapter 13 says this in verse 5. Now Lot, this was Abraham's nephew, was moving about with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not. Um, their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, were also living in the land at this time. So Abram said to Lot, "Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers." Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. So here you have Abraham and Lot. So they're herdsmen of arguing. You know what that's like, right? Your herdsmen start arguing with someone else's herdsmen in your family. 
And they're arguing, we don't have enough land, we, don't have, we can't support this. And so what's Abram do? The patriarch, the elder. He is living in an extremely patriarchal society. He had the right to choose whatever he wanted to do and give Lot the rest. He had the right to say, I'm going to take this land, you get what's left. That was his right. He was the, it was expected. He was the elder. He was the patriarch. He was the uncle. He was the older one. He had absolutely every right to do that. But what he said, for the sake of peace, as much as it depends on me, because we're brothers, let's not have any arguing. So here's what we're going to do, Lot. You choose. You look at the land on the right. You look at the land on the left. And you take what you want. And I'll take what's left. And so Lot, his nephew, looked at the land on the right and looked at the land on the left and he said, wow, this land has water. I don't have to dig wells. I don't have to, you know, it's well watered. It's great land. I'm going to take that land. And Abram said, okay, you take that land. I'll go the other direction. But he didn't have to. He was the elder. He was the statesman. He was the patriarch. Every right he had to that land. But he said, you take it. And he went there. And did Abram walk away saying, Oh man, that measly nephew, I knew he would choose that. Forget him. See if I ever help him again. I mean, is that, he didn't walk away with that attitude. You know how I know? Because a few verses later, Lot gets in trouble. He gets captured by four kings that, cap, that capture him, all his possessions, all his family. And what does Abram say? Does Abram say, Serves him right. God finally got him. Shouldn't have chose that land serves him right, forget him. No, he doesn't do that at all. Abram takes all of his warriors and all of his men, he puts his life on the line, and he goes to get Lot back. This guy who slighted him, this guy who took the best land and left Abram with the rest, he said, I'm going to put my life on the line, I'm going to go get him. Laid down his rights, and then a little later, you remember uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham found out God was going to destroy those cities. And he prayed and interceded that God would not destroy the cities because his family was living there. Lot, the one who had slighted him, the one who had wronged him, the one who chose the better land and left him with the rest. Why? Because Abraham trusted that God was in control. And that if he did what was right... And he, as far as it depended on him, lived at peace, showed generosity and grace that God would do right by him. He trusted the Lord. He trusted that God was in control, that God was going to take care of him. So can we do the same thing? Someone slighted you. Someone in your family, perhaps. They took the better portion and left you with the rest. They took the best and left you what the leftovers. They hurled verbal grenades at you. They hurt you. Can we pray for them like Abraham prayed for Lot? Can we come to their aid when they need help? As much as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. So finally, let me just close with, get back to blended family. If you're in a blended family, looking for hope that God loves you, looking for hope that God's still working in the midst of your situation, 
And maybe that's where you are this morning. I read one quote from this book. Debbie Alsdorf writes this. She said, I thought being in a blended family represented failure or second best living. I thought all the intact families were blessed with God's best and I was left to get by on second best blessing. I don't know if this is how you feel, but it's how some people feel. It may be how some people feel when they walk into a church and they feel like, wow, maybe God's best, maybe I've missed out on God's best. Maybe it's already passed me. Maybe I've already lost that and I can just, whatever's left. I just get whatever's left. But that's not the way God works. God who's gracious and forgives, who, who none of us have perfect families. I don't care if your parents have been married for a hundred years and never divorced and everybody's all together. Great, we're all sinners. And we've got stuff in our families that we need God to help us work through. And God's grace is big enough to cover you and to meet you where you're at. I was reminded this week as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of this truth. Jesus was born into a blended family. Right? Jesus was born into a blended family. Joseph was his stepfather. Moses grew up in a blended family. In fact, most of the Old Testament, if we're going to use as a definition people in your household that are not, children in your household that are not related to you by blood, most of the people in the Old Testament have blended families. More of them than not had people living under their roof, children living under their roof that were not related to them by blood. And so this reality is there. It doesn't mean God can't work. God is at work. God can work. You can go to Him for that grace and that blessing. But as much as possible with you, live at peace. So they have some tips in their book, and I just thought I'd just kind of share these at the end, some tips they have planned for peace while blending, being a part of the blending family. It says, recognize God has called you to something new. Be realistic. Check all the rosy expectations at the door. Don't force relationships. Acknowledge blending takes time. You know, in the stepchild relationship, some of the things I read this week that I thought was helpful, it's the child that gets to choose the level of intimacy in the relationship when it's a step relationship. You don't get to force that on as a step parent, you know, and just say, you are going to love me and be in love, you know. It just doesn't work that way. You got, you got to let the child choose and guide how close in the intimacy. You love and you do everything possible, but you're never going to control that. You're never going to control that. Don't, don't force relationships. Acknowledge blending takes time. Love your spouse by choosing relationship with their children. Remember, you're not a replacement. You are an original, crafted and equipped by God. Take time to adjust, to listen, to pray, to play, and reach out for help when you need it. And I hope a message like this morning just kind of says, you know, if you're in that situation, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay that you're struggling. It's okay that difficulties come. And you can, you can reach out and we can talk and we can pray with you um, in the midst of those situations. As we close out this morning, the question might come, yeah, but how do you do this? How can you, as much as possible with me, how do you do it? And I don't know how you do it apart from a relationship with Jesus. 
Because apart from relationship with Christ, you deserve your rights. Demand your rights. Get your rights. Don't get walked on. Don't get... That's the nature that's within us. And the only thing I know that counteracts that nature is when you come to Jesus first and you come to the cross and you look at his example and you follow his example and you recognize what he did for you. Your marriage, when you say, well, he's killing me. Not if you already died to yourself. She's crucifying me. Not if you already died with Christ. Not if you already laid down your life. And I'm not talking about physical abuse or things like that. I'm talking about those times when we are tempted to demand our rights. And if we have died to ourselves with Christ, and if we have laid down our life with Him, then there's nothing else I can't let go of. I've already died to myself. I've already laid down my rights. I've come to the cross. And when you come to that cross, you don't come just for a doctrine. You don't come just for salvation. You come to follow Jesus. And following Jesus involves taking up your cross. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take it up daily. And so you may be in that situation in your family. You say, man, they might take advantage of me. They might. They might. People do it with Jesus all the time. They might not respect me. They may, they may not, you know, they, they may take advantage of me. They may bite my hand when I reach out for them. They might. They might. But if possible, as much as it depends on you, you live at peace with them. Peace may not be possible, but as much as it depends on you, you live at peace with them. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you feel like, I don't have the strength to do that. The only advice I can give you is it starts with coming to Jesus. It starts with laying your life down and making peace with God. And then when you make peace with God, He's able to give you the strength to live at peace with those around you. I only know, the only thing I know that can help you let go of that bitterness is if God asks you to let go of it. Because I can't ask you to let go of it. No counselor can ask you to let go of it. No family can ask you to let go of it. The only one I know that has a right to ask you to let go of it is the one that let go of his rights and laid them down for you. And so you make peace with God and you ask him for the strength to live at peace with everyone around you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As we bow our heads and close our eyes and we take this moment of sacred space with God, I encourage you to just take a few moments with you and God. Forget about the people around you. Forget about the person on your mind right now who maybe has been sticking in your mind as I've been talking you know, that family member that you struggle with, would you just let that go for a moment and just let it be you and God and just take a moment of sacred space. 
And I first want to talk, maybe you're in here and you're a Christian, you've been following God, and yet there is someone in your life you know you struggle with, and yet, and yet you know this aspect of living at peace with everyone has been a struggle and has been difficult, and you haven't had the strength to be able to do it. You haven't had the strength to lay down your arms. You haven't had the strength to be able to stop sending bombs. You haven't had the strength to lay down your bitterness. You haven't had the strength to forgive, and, and yet you're following God in this morning. Maybe you just need to ask Jesus. You look at the cross and come to the cross and just lay down your pain, lay down your bitterness, lay down and ask him for the strength to help you to love. Maybe you just need to come to him this morning and say, Lord, I haven't been living out this command and as much as possible with me, I do want to live at peace and I haven't been given my all. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You follow God and yet you need his strength. You know you're going to need it in the next 30 days because you're going to see that person. You're going to talk to that person. You're going to get a Christmas card from that person. And you know the moment you see that name on the return address, the feelings that are going to come up in you. Maybe that's where you are. And you just need God's strength to help you to lay it down and let it go. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you in a moment. I just ask you to just let God know that you need help in that area. Pray to Him. I ask you to just lift your hand and just let God know, God, that's me. I need help right now. I want to pray for you. And uh, if you just slip your hand up to let God know, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Many hands going up. Many of us find ourselves in that situation. I want to pray for you in a moment, but I also want to recognize that maybe you're in here and you haven't taken that step. Peace with people around you hasn't been possible, perhaps, because you've never made the peace with God. And so maybe this morning is that moment for you to make peace with God. Maybe this morning you recognize that Jesus has done everything he could. He came, he died died in your place so that you can have forgiveness of sins, so you can have peace with God. He brought you here today with the chance to hear maybe again, maybe that first time, that message of hope in Jesus, that you can have peace with God, that you can live at peace with Him, that you can have forgiveness. He's done everything He could, but it's up to you to take that final step to reach out and to say, yes, you want peace with Him. You want that forgiveness of your sins. You want to make him Lord of your life. You want to live for him. He's died for you and now you want to live for him. And if that's you here this morning, I just want to ask you, just like these others did, just slip up your hand and let God know that that's you this morning. Thank you. If that's you this morning, you want that relationship with God, you want peace with God. Anyone here this morning, that that's you, anyone else? Anyone else here this morning? You want to pray that prayer? Thank you. Anyone else? If you lifted your hand at that second, that second uh, aspect of the prayer, then in your own seat, in your own way, it's not hard. It's not complicated. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you can be forgiven of your sins, God will come into your life. The Holy Spirit will come into your heart. He will give you a new life and a new heart. You can live for Him. 
You can live for him. You can have forgiveness of your guilt, your shame, your sins. And he will give you the power to live the life that he's called you to live. And so I encourage you in your own place, in your own seat, those couple of people that you raised your hand, just take this moment of sacred space to make peace with God and let him know you want to live for him. Thank him for dying for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we come before you this morning, broken people. Broken people. Lord, we might have the most, what looks like on the outside, the most put-together family, but the truth is every one of us is from a broken family. Every one of us is from a broken home because every one of us as the results of sin living in our life and our homes and they're not perfect. We need the grace of God. We need to constantly look to the cross. We need to be constantly becoming more like Jesus. And so God, I just ask this morning, Lord, I pray over Lord, each and every person in this room, but I pray over those that are especially maybe in blended families, in blending homes as they're endeavoring to live together and struggling with some of these things that we talked about this morning. Maybe they go and they end up crying at home alone when no one else is listening, when no one else is around because they don't feel like they can let anyone know. Lord, I just ask for your strength and your power and your grace to come into each and every home. And Lord, give us a vision and a plan of what you are calling our home and our family to be. Lord, help us to have patience and grace with one another. And Lord, may your spirit, God, come into each and every family unit, Lord, to be able to forgive one another to extend grace to one another, to worship you and follow you together. Lord, I pray for the brokenness that is in hearts over our families, the, the weeping parent over their children, the weeping children over their parents. God, would you bring healing? Lord, would you help us to look to you as our heavenly father? Lord, I pray for those this morning that prayed that prayer to make peace with you this morning. God, I know that you're just going to be faithful and you're going to come into their heart just like you said you would, that they are now a new creation, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we're grateful for that. Lord, we ask this morning that you would lead us to that cross. Lead us to that cross where we can lay our lives down and find out when we do that that we find that there's there more life than we ever could have expected to have. More freedom than we ever could have expected. More blessing than we ever could have asked for. We come to that cross this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.